to the American Exception Podcast. In this episode, we are once again joined by investigative journalist Kit Clarenberg, all the way from Belgrade. Kit is the editor of Grey Zone UK. His work explores the role of intelligence services in shaping politics and perceptions. We're going to be speaking about three recent Grey Zone articles by Kit Clarenberg. The first is Exposed. Before Ukraine blew up Kerch Bridge, British spies plotted it. The second is Leaked Documents, British Spies Constructing Secret Terror Army in Ukraine. And the third article is FTX Partnership with Ukraine is Latest Chapter in Shady Western Aid Saga. We'll include links to these articles in the show notes. Kit Clarenberg, it's great to have you here. Hey, how's it going? So I'm doing pretty well, and uh, it's a little earlier in the morning. But we we had we do for me. I usually do these later in the day. But since you are all the way in Serbia, I'm getting an early start, and it's late for you, which is which is funny. Um, but you've been doing a lot. <laughs> you're very prolific. You write a lot of articles all, um, about areas that, that the mainstream press ignores. And I want to talk about a few articles that you've written of late. Uh, all of them deal with Ukraine in different ways and the Ukraine war. Uh, the first one deals with the destruction of this bridge in Crimea, connecting Crimea to uh, Russia. Yes. And uh, the Brits who were behind, perhaps behind the, the destruction of this bridge. Um, can you tell us like how you how you got this got got to be on this story? And, and who are these 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 British people that are perpetrating all this mischief? Oh sure. Well, it's like I think that, that when the when the Kerch Bridge um, uh, attack happened, which is I mean, it's, it's quite a while while ago now, it's almost been forgotten. But that when when that occurred, I was keeping a very 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 close eye on um, the the kind of emergent narrative um, around it because you know I had in my possession um, documents which indicated that as far back as April, a kind of call it an, a, a transnational intelligence slash crime network um, at the centre of which were a number of veteran uh, British high ranking British spies. Um, I was very interested to see what would happen because a I was wondering if there was going to be a flurry of celebration um, which would then be repudiated uh, like after Nord Stream 2 where in the immediate hours after that a number of figures were um, you know all over social media uh, cheering this and saying thank you USA and then very quickly suddenly they started pumping the line that actually it was Russia that did this which kind of suggested you know that suggests me that the that whoever carried out this action, and I have my suspicions there, was doing so without US approval or knowledge, 
Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's quite hard to believe, in, in, um, given the, you know, the, the reach and the might of the US empire. But you know, for a very long time, it's been clear based on on messages kind of so, you know, signaling from London that, that the UK wants America more involved in the war in Ukraine. And so, uh, I mean, in the classic uh, spirit of these things, I mean, as far back as the 1940s, Britain uh, wanted to exploit America's financial, industrial and, and military capacity for its own ends to quote unquote steer the path of the American empire in its own favor. It hasn't always been successful. We can think about Suez um, and other kind of, um, you know, other incidents of, of that ilk, large and small. But by and large, the UK has been very successful in this regard. And one of the ways it has um, succeeded is by creating facts on the ground which the US, you know, like uh, the US has to clear up or take or take um, control of, you know, effectively you're know, pulling Britain's chestnuts out of the fire, as it were. I mean, the civil war in Greece in the 1940s, Britain uh, informed the US it was bankrupt and the US needed to step in when that actually wasn't the case. Um, you know, there are numerous examples of this throughout history. And so it just occurred to me that the Kerch Bridge was uh, an example of that because that that bombing, um, it, it, even though it doesn't seem to have caused mass damage to the to uh, the structure, um, it was always going to precipitate a massive retaliation from uh, the, Russia because the, the, that the, a bridge connecting Crimea and the Russian mainland has been the dream of Russian leaders since the the, you know, the czars, uh, you know, Soviet commissars wanted to construct it, but they didn't know how. Or, didn't have the resources to, and so when it was when it was opened by Vladimir Putin, it was you know, hailed as this uh, grand propaganda victory, and it was also a, 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 a way of signalling that well, Crimea is ours, and, you know, that that it's it's here to stay, so to speak. And so any attack on that structure was yes, always inevitably going to uh, lead to a mass a mass retaliation and you know we've been seeing that unfold ever since with uh you know pretty much daily uh missile raids on ukrainian infrastructure uh, it's you know reduced much of the country to just you know blackout status um right as a very 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 cold winter is a, um, in, in, is uh, is a, is upon europe and so yeah i mean and you know subsequent Subsequent leaks, subsequent releases have confirmed this. Um, this uh, the, the the head of this transnational network is an individual called Chris Donnelly. He's been on my radar for a number of years. He is a utterly deranged uh, member of Britain's uh, elite military um, uh, and intelligence establishment. He was a a, a key advisor to, to successive NATO secretary generals. He was an advisor to Margaret Thatcher. He ran the British Army Soviet Research Centre, um, which is obviously very influential in in terms of military. Thinking throughout the Cold War, and you know, since the Cold War ended, he has spent a not insignificant proportion of his personal and professional time trying to hype the threat of uh, Russia and you know, and trying to uh, perpetuate the notion that the West is already effectively at war with Moscow and needs to start acting like it. And he was uh, he first cropped up on my radar due to um, leaks related to the Workings of Integrity Initiative, which is a secret foreign office black propaganda unit that was involved in in perpetuating fake news about Russia, but also domestic um, uh, adversaries like Julian Assange and Jeremy Corbyn. And it very much seems that in the in the months leading up to um, fighting breaking out. 
um, on, on February 24th, um, direct uh, confrontation between Russia and Ukraine, that he he was preparing for this and goading this and willing it to happen. So he's got what he wanted. There's a very revealing um, email that he sent to a senior um, British um, uh, 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 military official um, and a, a key advisor to the Chiefs of Defence Staff, where he he talk, he, he uh, disparages the Americans and, and Biden in particular for not ramping up tensions, for you know for de-escalating, for you know for being wary of a nuclear war breaking out. I mean, you know, it, it, these people are completely insane, and you know they 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 hatched a number back in April, as I say, a number of plans to attack Crimea, to um, uh, you know destroy Russian infrastructure, um, infiltrate Russian shipbuilding um, uh, facilities in the region and the centerpiece of this was uh, the Kerch Bridge bombing. Now, it seems the plans there evolved over time, particularly after they involved this, this group called Prevail Partners, which is a private military company staffed by ex-UK Special Forces, which is engaged in all manner of skullduggery, much of which we are yet to um, expose at the Great Zone um, in, 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 in the Ukraine war. They are, for instance, as we'll get into later, I'm sure, constructing a partisan terror army. I mean, the purpose of that, of that, of that, that battalion or that militia um, is to carry out these these plans among them Kerch Bridge. Um, the Prevail had other ideas for how to blow up the bridge. They wanted to um, sail a ship full of ammonium nitrate under it and then blow it up, which would have been even more catastrophic, would have caused um, and, you know, countless civilian casualties almost inevitably. You know, thousands of people drive back and forth across that bridge every day, even though there's you know, a war on. And, and um, effectively, the uh yeah the, the, it, 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 quite why they, they they settled on the final plan which seems to have involved um a truck being driven from odessa uh, through uh, uh, through a series of neighboring countries including bulgaria by a succession of drivers none of which knew that, that it seems they the van was laid with with explosives and it was then detonated, causing, you know, it seems at best marginal and easily repairable damage. But I mean, in terms of symbolism, it of course happened on Vladimir Putin's birthday. And, you know, there were lots of Ukrainian officials who were making light of this fact. And, but yes, I mean, as with Nord Stream 2, suddenly um, uh, Ukrainian officials started backtracking and then they were, were claiming that the, the entire incident was a false flag orchestrated by Russia in order to justify a, a mass escalation. I mean, you know, I talk about a wilderness of mirrors. Right. I mean, Russia's already at war in the country. They can, and, and the, in the West, they're all, it's already being portrayed as a genocidal campaign, right? I mean, yes, you, see, yes. you see that kind of coverage. So it, you wonder if it doesn't make any, like Russia doesn't need a pretext. They've already started the war. Like, I don't, yeah. I mean, yeah. and they already were, according to the West, they already tried to take Kiev, which I find very dubious um yes. anyway but like that's the, they're already reporting this stuff in the west like i don't see it's funny to think of where the west goes with its reporting from that perspective because they've all they're already saying that he's like genghis khan basically and so yes. how, how do you escalate from that unless except for nukes by their own formulation um why do you think that this guy is so uh, there's parts in the article uh where he is very cavalier about the issue of nuclear weapons and there's a section where he's complaining about how biden uh he, he's bemoaning the fact that biden has been talking about putin the the risk of nuclear war as a bad mm. thing i mean what is what is his what is his goal here 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the, you know, the, the, uh, uh, for Britain, Russia is has long been a kind of key adversary, and it's like you know, the, the the great game um, in the 1800s. It was you know, Russia was seen as effectively blocking uh, British slash Western exploitation of the vast riches of, of Central Asia. And, you know, this became, uh, you know, this this hatred, this visceral hatred of all things Russian became further turbocharged by the Russian Revolution. You know, they're the one that got away. They, they effectively had, a, you know, a, a, a relative of Queen Victoria on, on their throne. Um, you know, well, uh, Churchill, Churchill said that Bolshevism should be strangled in its cradle. Yes. Yes, yes. And so, you know, after World War One, um, there was what I think what the US called Operation Polar Bear, where Britain and America and a number of other countries invaded Russia and attempted to, you know, over, well, you know, uh, conduct a counter revolution against the uh, against the communists. And that, you know, it descended into massive failure. But, you know, it, 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 yes, I think that this, for a very long time, Russia has just been viewed as, as a major um, uh, problem. I mean, not least due to you know its size and and also the nature of it. The kind of you know its its people are are extremely nationalistic in the sense they're very patriotic. They they have a you know self preservationist, um, if not slightly isolationist streak. And it's like you know what the, the, I remember when I was younger, it was uh, it was frequently said of Americans that well they don't have passports because they are so large and geographically diverse that actually you, can, you know, they don't really need them. I mean, it almost it's almost the same for Russians. Like you know they have. That you know, in, in in the south you have very warm you know almost all year round cities you know like, like you know, but, you know with, with wonderful beaches and then you have mountains you can go skiing and you have very modern you know very modern very clean you know, ur- you know urban cities with fantastic transport infrastructure so like actually it's almost like that kind of Chinese thing when you know, the British turned up and they said well we don't we don't have anything you don't have anything we want and it's like you know the, the and, and, it, again, because of its size, I, I, for a very long time, uh, Western powers have viewed Russia as, as probably a lot easier to, to manage and deal with and exploit if it's broken into a lot of you know, smaller constituent parts, you know, balkanization. And you know, that would obviously be the case. And it's, but it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy that, that, that this, that, that that uh, objective is being pursued, and I had several conversations with people who work for think tanks and other kind of you know imperial um, adjuncts and fora when the war started, where they they, they were tr- truly possessed of the belief that the sanctions would lead to the breakup of Russia, um, uh, etc. I mean, we've seen how that's turned out, but I mean, this is also comes at a time when increasingly countries are looking to larger blocks, um, you know, in order to improve their bargaining power and you know, so they are not quite so um, uh, uh, defenseless um, when it comes to the wills of, of, of Western power. I mean, you know, where I am in, in Serbia, um, I am, you know, or the Western Balkans, the, the countries here, including countries that have historically or at least recently not gotten on very well, are moving towards creating um, an initiative called the Open Balkans, which would effectively be Yugoslavia 2.0 in many ways, except with Albania included, because these, you know, if you're Macedonia and your population is you know, about two million and you are very poor and you have limited resources, I mean, what, you know, what bargaining power do you have in, say, negotiations over a trade deal with the US? Um, I mean, that was that was like Tito's whole thing, right? I mean, that was he had said that that being that for the Balkans being balkanized was just a way to be dominated, and so they came to get they wanted yeah. to come together. 
Yeah, and it's like it, 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 you know, it is. It's. It, I think that another thing that the war has also, you know, amply demonstrated to countries is is the the vital importance of of, of maintaining a high degree of um uh, of of self self sufficiency in food and energy. I mean, it, you know, to use another regional example, Albania um, doesn't import anything pretty much. Like it, it, it has a huge, um, also has huge uh, protectionist barriers to importing um, goods. So things that might cost you a few dollars or a few pounds or a few euros um, in Western countries will cost you vast sums there if it's not you know, made locally, and all of their food is domestically reared or grown, all of their energy is, or pretty much is domestically created. Uh, they are actually, funnily enough, a big innovator in so solar power, which doesn't really get much, um, doesn't get you know, you know, much traction in the news. But, you know, they don't have inflation. They have very low steady prices for everything. Um, and you know, they're not affected by um, by the sanctions in the same way the rest of Europe is. Um, you know, it's it, 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 you know, we are seeing the dangers of being a globalized um, economy and being in, you know, dependent on imports. I mean, the UK, where I am, much to my eternal shame, from um, they uh, you know, they import about sixty to seventy percent of their food. They have you know double digit inflation, which is scheduled to only get worse. You know, the cost of living crisis is very real. People are you know, you know, stripping back to eating one meal a day to get by. They, you know, they don't turn on their heating despite the fact it's very cold. Um, you know, so it, it, a lot of a lot of lessons are being learned the world over. Um, you know, from this from this conflict and all of the fantasies of um, people like Chris Donnelly, um, you know, in, in the, in, within the, the transatlantic alliance are being shattered. But you know, their response is just to double down. Oh well, the sanctions haven't worked. Let's sanction more. Oh well, ratcheting up tensions hasn't worked. Well, let's do that more. Um, you know, they're, they're also as well. It's very clear that they have no consideration whatsoever for the consequences of this. They think that they're going to be safe in Washington, and London. And you know, it, it, you know, Russia has indicated that it would, it, it, it is considering retaliating uh, towards Britain for for what are effectively British acts. And it's you know, one of the really interesting things from these leaked files that we've been reporting on in the grey zone is it seems that the British government, at least initially, was very, very, very wary of being publicly seen to be to, to be involved in this war. So they were they 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 are providing training for the aforementioned partisan terror army through a series of cutouts like the, the money goes to a fake NGO and then that's funneled to this private military company in total secret and it's like yeah because they know that like it's getting to the point where it's very hard for NATO members to say well we're not directly the involved slash we're not belligerents in this war like if you have you know scores of mercenaries and scores of advisors and scores of intelligence officials on the ground from France and Germany and, and Britain and the US, how are they not involved? How are these countries not party to this conflict? So yeah, I mean I think that that mask is slip, slip, slipping increasingly, um, and it, 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 the, the question is now: well, okay, do we go all out and you know uh, declare ourselves fully involved? in this conflict or do we um you know de-escalate and try and you know get out with our tails intact um i mean logic and rationality would dictate the latter um but these people are quite so insane and sadistic that i think that the former is probably the only option they think they have available to them yeah i mean i, I wrote extensively in american exception about how the the global system was really managed in a kind of in a pretty conspiratorial way at key points 
relating to the breakdown of Bretton Woods and these oil shocks and the Volcker shock and things that were manipulated by the U.S. to eventually create the Washington consensus. Um, and that, that gave the U.S. so much power over the global political economy. Really, it was unprecedented in human history, the, what, the position of the U.S. at the point where the Soviet Union broke down uh, and, you know, I, which I think was orchestrated by the U.S. as well. And they uh, they just wanted to go further. They wanted to go to keep to go further and essentially bring in all of those areas in the Soviet bloc that were under Soviet sway before mm. uh, into this system. But they really have failed that uh, this is like the hubris of the people post 9-11 and what they were writing about the new American century. I mean, they just have doubled down on yeah. this. And Britain is in such a strange position because where does Britain go if this Western empire is that this is a really the end of us. I, I feel like we're at the end of a centuries of really Western domination of the, of the, of the globe. Uh, I mean, Western, like West, like Atlanticist domination of the world. I mean, really starting with the colonization of the Western hemisphere and this whole process um, is seems to be fine, like coming to a close. And where does, do, do you feel like there's a, in, in, in like the people or like the people are that think like Donnelly and whatever circles he's attached to, do they just feel that they, it could not possibly happen that, that, that the end of Western domination of the world and Western imperialism would like not be, uh, you know, the, the, the top fact of political life on, on the planet or, or what, what is, what is this mindset? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I've greatly enjoyed Francis Fukuyama popping up to say it, it truly is the end of history this time for real um, and numerous, numerous junctures during this, during this conflict. But I mean, yeah, I think that the that effectively, yes, these people are delusional and they are, they they look to historical precedents. And I think that, you know, they, they I mean, the, U, the, U, the UK is notoriously obsessed with World War II. I mean, they have this notion that they are overcoming this great evil and that they will triumph and, you know, without actually factoring in the fact that, well, you know, in defeating the Nazis, Britain, you know, destroyed itself and, you know, ended up, um, you know, effectively, uh, what's the word, um, uh, mortgaging its empire. Um, in well, and then video. World War One. World War One was similar. Yes. I mean, it was a similar thing yeah. in World War One. That was why they had to have those German reparations is so that they could pay back the United States. I mean, yeah. that's the, really yeah. the story of the 20th century is the U.S. sort of stepping in as the banker and arms merchant for for britain and during the two world wars and then the uh and, and fight and doing a lot of fighting and then slowly taking over the british empire and making them into a junior little sidekick yes indeed well i mean i i i think it was i think adam twos is uh, uh his book on on the kind of the latter stages of the the um the second, sorry, the first world war. It's very interesting. He makes the point that the, you know, the, the, the terms of Britain's victory, where it was effectively, you know, massively, you know, unprecedentedly in debt to the US, um, was, you know, had had severely uh, damaged its um, its overseas its overseas reach and presence. Uh, was it was it was it was as if Britain had been you know roundly defeated by the US. You know, it was um, it, it, you know, the, that was its victory. But yeah, I mean, if you, some a lot of the papers related to integrity initiative are quite interesting in this regard. Where there's this individual called Victor Madeira, who um, in 2015 wrote this document where he was talking about how. 
um, well, you know, we uh, we can use sanctions and other and you know, other mechanisms to achieve you know to achieve all-out war with Russia one way or another, um, whether we're the instigators or not. And he he, he cites historical precedents of when you know in the in after the, the Russian Revolution, how Britain um, w- along with its you know, international allies sought to destroy the Soviet Union. And he saw this as a historic battle which Britain would win. I mean, and you know, just inevitably uh, you know, that kind of sense of hubris, but also you know, entitlement, I think, is you know, very, it's a recurrent theme in British thinking. So, so in the 1930s, when uh, dominion status was granted to Canada and Australia and, and New Zealand, it was assumed that Britain would continue its role as effectively, as economically and politically dominant within those countries. And it's like, well, I mean, if they're independent, like why you know, you know, out of nostalgia for the mother country that they would just you know <laughs> subordinate themselves you know to London's will. A similar thing when Britain joined the um, uh, the European Communities, it was in the seventies. This was sold in the British media as oh well, um, you know, Britain, Britain's lost an empire but gained the continent, and it was felt that Britain would just inevitably be the the economic, political, and military centre of Europe, and that was never going to happen because of the existence of Germany. Uh, you know, one way or another. And I think, you know, part of Brexit was partially inspired by, yes, the fact that, like, one way or another, Britain was going to have to accept also RAND status, you know, from 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 an imperial perspective, um, you know, within that structure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there just seems to be this, this this notion that, well, Britain is just inevitably on course to prevail because we're, on the, you know, we're, we're the good guys and we're on the right side of history. And it's just, it's, it's just tremendously delusional. And it's like that I... You know, I um again, you know, you're living in this part of the world. Uh, when I first moved here, there was an enormous distrust of Britain. It was, you know, that I mean, I was routinely uh, accused of being MI6, and and um, like there was a, I mean, people weren't, I mean, people weren't like aggressively hostile. But there was just a sense that Britain was a you know very powerful, very cunning, very um, uh, formidable. Uh, you know, destabilizing, destabilizing force. And do they do they think, think that uh, do they think the British were behind the uh, the black hand and the uh, assassination of Archduke Ferdinand? Because that's uh, something that people. Oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like there are, there are some people who 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 um, uh, lament the demise of Yugoslavia, but are utterly convinced that Tito was a British agent all along, which is quite funny. And they point to pictures of him with the Queen and as proof and all this other stuff. I mean, he was supported by. By British intelligence, in you know, one way or another, in um, World War Two. But I mean, I think being a British asset all his life is a bit is a bit different. But yeah, that like you know that that was the perception then, and then now, you know, people just think that, that it's rather silly. Um, you know, kind of declining, archaic country. Um, you know, it's you know, it's it's mo- it's mocking rather than like fear or um, uh, intimidation uh, or you know, kind of a begrudging respect. And I think that you know that the, the um, the really surreal and disturbing outpouring of public grief over the the death of uh, Queen Queen Elizabeth II <laughs> recently. I think that was like you know that was widely mocked and you know demeaned as just really pathetic kind of North Korea style like you know uh, like, uh, and so yeah that like I think that that you know, that, that that perception is um, yeah it has been you know, just uh, terminally. Um, uh, uh, knocked um, in, into the long grass. And, and Wait, yes, what the, were you? What was your perception of the way the? I, I, it's hard to know what you can make of anything based on like social media and anything else. 
what was your perception of how the how like the 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 median British person, whoever that is, I don't know, some guy somewhere in the middle of England, like what were they were they really as sad about the Queen, or was it something that was a media exaggeration or I what? I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think I think that the further up society you go, the more people cared. Um, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just like it, 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 it was all of these, all of these people, like always these idiot liberal, liberal journalists and pundits on Twitter saying, like, acting as if their own mother had died and you know, blah blah. Like it was just, it, it was. I mean, it was nauseating and stultifying. I mean, did most people care? Probably not. Did people get a bit sick of the blanket coverage and being constantly told that this is the most important thing that's ever happened probably um but i mean you know from you know, fr from afar um and particularly yes that with this kind of cavalcade of of um you know nightmarish uh news coverage of britain's you know e e economic collapse um it, it, with you know, spiraling inflation, uh, a, a recession set to last, uh, you know, at least a year, if not more, um, a cost of living crisis, and more generally, yes, the kind of very rapid um, uh, uh, elevation and turfing of, of Elizabeth Truss's prime minister, you know, she lasted 45 days, it's like the shortest lived prime minister in history. Um, I think that, yeah, the, the, it's just seen as a basket case now, and actually, uh, you know, amongst my friends, friends in, uh, in Germany, it's a similar perception, pre-Brexit, um, the UK was viewed, yes, as kind of as you know, very wise, you know, very wily, and um, and very brave. And now they're just seen as just a bit silly, like just very, very strange islands. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't. It, it's this all of this neoliberal nonsense and globalization nonsense, where these countries have been discouraged. As it's been U.S. policy to really enforce or discourage this but of being food and energy sustainable and having mm. just solid systems that are not subject to the international economy before you participate in international trade. I mean, these are like things that, that the trial organizations like the trilateral commission have foisted on the world. And uh, you yes. know, the, I think it's going to come home. It's going to hit home to Europe in a real way. Like that. These are not, things that should be left to the whims of the international markets. Like they have really, um, they, they're about to be hoisted on their own petard, like all of these elites, I think, uh, as this happens. And and you wonder about people like Donnelly and so on. And this sort of group of people in this, in this clique of this element of the British establishment, do you think that they have tied? What elements in the U.S. are they tied to? I mean, are they are they really out there as like free agents, or do you think that they are they collaborate with American more hawkish neo conservatives, or or what? Because as you point out in these articles, it seems like they're mostly dismayed about Biden um, and his you know lack of an appetite for nuclear doomsday. I mean, what what is the where do these guys fit in with this bigger american in this moment in the american empire where they're like they seem to be more aggressive than the americans yeah well i mean again it's, i think it just goes back to the fact that yes as i say that there is just this assumption that well again to talk about entitlement i will america will just come to our come to our aid i, I mean and this was this was a delusion that churchill had you know i mean he, he believed in this 
grand you know, international union of English-speaking peoples. I mean, which ignores the fact that the US had for a very long time, in fact, actually since its very inception, you know, attempted to um, undermine and supplant British interests and, and influence you know, the world over. Uh, it, 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 there, there is no particular reason for Britain and America to be you know, best of buddies, uh, and and they're not quite quite demonstrably. But you know, in within structures like Five Eyes, you could make the argument that yes, that that is, it uh, you know, it, it is an unprecedentedly close. Um, well, that, that's just basically and, a way for the two yeah. democracies to like pretend that they're not fascists because they do the spying for the other country, like they subcontract their spying yeah. to their other countries and vice versa. I mean, isn't that basically the arrangement? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's crazy. I, I, I mean, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I've written about this extensively. I think that there are. It's interesting that there are some internal uh, NSA files where it's clear that they don't fully trust the British, and they're very aware that the British were always trying to like overstep the mark and like attempt to you know, get 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 their uh, their officers working on sensitive uh, areas that the NSA would never share with anyone. And they're like very wary of like uh, you know of, of their quote unquote British friends. I mean, but then you know equally the, the British also in and I think this is clear in the Snowden documents that they are very very well aware that they need to prove their worth to the Americans, and so they need to constantly go the extra mile and engage in activity that the, even the NSA would find you know unsavory and just you know quite kind of completely crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that the that that kind of frustration. Is you know the, is that that entitled fantasy meeting reality? It's like oh well, we always assumed that Uncle Sam would you know come to the rescue, and it's just what they do. I mean, it, and it's and it's, it's crazy as well. Is that like you think well, what more could the US do beyond you know, sending billions pretty much weekly uh, to you know to Ukraine and like propping up their completely collapsed economy? Like what more could they do? And it's like oh well, you know, direct involvement in the war. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I think that that's what that's what Donnelly is is seeking to achieve, and it's never going to happen. You know, it's you better it's hope it doesn't happen. I mean, unless he's got a yes. really good fallout shelter. Let's set the these British guys and their secret partisan army that they're trying to create, which, like, you know, what could go wrong there? Um aside but which is i'll link to the to those articles but i want to talk a little bit about this ftx thing because you've gotten some good reporting on that and it got you kicked off of instagram oh, for for some reason um yes what, what's the latest on that your article yeah. was the article's title was um ftx partnership with ukraine is latest chapter in shady western aid side yeah, yeah. I mean, by the time this episode goes out, I think that it should be online. It's being published by the the Canada the Canada Files, which is a great um, independent website on Canada's role within the U.S. Empire. Um, my my uh, it's edited by my my um, uh, my friend Aiden. Uh, and and yeah, that is effectively. I mean, this is a, a very murky story. I mean, FTX to me just strikes me. It just it just it smells of CIA front one way or another. Um, I mean, that's a whole different uh, kettle of ball games. But effectively, in you know, so just I mean, a, a brief, a, a very, very, very brief history of FTX is it was founded in 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 April 2019, the same month that Biden announced he was running for president, um, and became quickly became one of the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges. It was completely centralized. It seems now that it was completely criminal and corrupt from the word go. Um, it 
collapsed very quickly in early November because um, it, 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 due to concerns about its um, uh, its financial arrangements, uh, uh, it, 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 a, a major crypto firm pulled a lot, uh, dropped a lot of its um, FTT, which is the um, FTX's Bitcoin token. Um, they dropped a bunch of, of their FTT holdings, and then customers immediately, because they were worried, tried to withdraw their funds, and they couldn't because it turned out FTX, an allegedly multi-billion company, actually didn't have the, the liquidity slash the assets to redeem those uh, those requests. So, I mean, yes, it was founded by this individual called Sam Bankman-Fried, who was uh, when it launched, he was just 27, and he was hailed as this tech guru and um, you know this genius who was going to revolutionise finance. and And he also um, donated tens of millions to the U.S. Democratic Party. And he, he became the second biggest donor to Joe Biden in 2020, and was the party's second biggest donor. And you know thereafter for two years, um, and, you know, at one stage he said he was going to donate a billion to um uh you know one billion uh to the democratic party but he you know as we'll get into he wrote back on that uh, entirely later on down the line but anyway in mid-march it was announced that ftx in conjunction with the ukrainian government had uh, founded a platform called aid for ukraine whereby um people could make cryptocurrency donations to ftx which ftx would then uh, uh convert into fiat currency that the ukrainian government could spend on bullets and bombs and, and uh, bandages and other kind of war material and um anyway so i when <clears throat> When it came to my, when this arrangement came to my attention, this was following the the collapse of FTX. I immediately started looking into it with, you know, kind of ADHD hyper focus, fully switched on. Um, every single avenue that I went down raised concerns and questions. A lot of it didn't make sense. I just think that, you know, the the the, the basic proposition uh, to believe that this wasn't corrupt, you would have to believe that a an individual. Who was running a business empire that was completely criminal? Like every enterprise in which he was involved was 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 fraudulent, pretty much. Um, he was tied to 134 separate shell companies, um, which is just you know crazy. You know the amount of tax evasion and money laundering and other you know potentially uh, dark dark arts that that would have facilitated is mind boggling. Uh, anyway, the, you would have to believe that that out of everything that he did. The one thing that he that, that 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 was above board, the one thing that was kosher, was a charitable program for the government of Ukraine, which you know prior to the war breaking out was routinely um, branded the most corrupt country in Europe, and it's been calculated that about a third of the country's GDP is lost to corruption and, and uh, embezzlement and all you know uh, and fraud. And so I mean that just doesn't that just doesn't make sense. But like what what what's really striking is that effectively in um on th this is this is so this is launched in mid-march and then on the 1st of april i found through web archives uh the, it, this website was updated to, to, to state that we've raised 70 million dollars through crypto donations um this is then changed five days later on april 6th to oh we've raised 60 million in crypto donations now this figure has remained unchanged ever since uh it remained unchanged even when the original website which was just a an asset of the ukrainian government website was changed to a standalone website on November 1st, i.e. a few days before FTX collapsed. So I mean, that's some quite interesting timing. The people involved in it say that this is just a coincidence and they they, they moved to a standalone page because 
the Ukrainian government website was subject to endless cyber attacks. Um, you know that may be true, but what that does, what that leads the mystery of why that figure has remained unchanged ever since March. Um, you know, a, a very much an open one. And there are numerous statements by Ukrainian government officials and crypto bros who are involved in aid for Ukraine who have they made very clear that, that they, well, they've, sorry, they, they have repeatedly stuck to the line that only 60 million was raised um, and uh, that, you know, this is the sum total that was raised and that we, and we've only used 55 million of it. Um, and, uh, and, like, you know, that, that in itself, is just rather unbelievable because it was reported before this even uh, this was even launched that between February 24th and March 11th this year Ukraine had burnt through 100 million in crypto donations but it's even more unbelievable because all of those all of all, all of the the various kind of cryptocurrencies in which a few Ukrainians been receiving do donations. They've been open the whole time, and millions upon millions has flowed in. Now, what has this been spent on? We don't know. Uh, we are told it hasn't. That not only do we to are we told that they, these funds haven't arrived, that we we're told they haven't been spent. So, uh, are they being funneled to black operations? Are they being embezzled somehow? We don't know. Um, but clearly, there are a lot of of questions to answer. Um, you know, attempts to debunk this narrative. I mean, yes, as you mentioned, we we uh, the grey zone got. Uh, censored by Instagram uh, for claiming that aid for Ukraine was raised to uh, used to raise money for Democrats. Um, not only did I not make that allegation in the article, I explicitly stated there was no evidence this was the case. Um, did they so, ever I mean, reverse that? No, no. We appealed. They 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 they, they, they refused to to revert. Yeah, they just they can do that it's anytime just, they want yeah. to. I mean, they're just there. It's it's yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. A, quite a dictatorship. Yeah, but it's like I, you know, I I met I I kind of half jokingly said at the time when this happened, I'd like to thank whichever CIA intern was responsible for this fact check for confirming that there was something deeply shady about aid for Ukraine and it should be seriously investigated. I mean, emphasis very much on half joking. Like I think that that in itself is a very clear indication of where you're being told where not to look by power. And you know that means that you should keep looking um, as much as possible. I mean, you know, yes, there are, as I say, there were numerous attempts to to bunk, quote unquote, you know, the the quote unquote conspiracy theory that that, that there was something untoward about this. Um, they've all kind of missed the point. Question, you know, uh, the question of why that sixty million figure has remained unchanged in light of you know millions flowing in since March has and remains very much open. That's that's very curious. But more generally, I just think that that you know the and this kind of ties in with some of my early, earlier reporting on the on the partisan terror army. The the war in Ukraine has precipitated an absolute feeding frenzy for grift for kind of grifters by by um, you know private military and intelligence actors. Uh, you know a lot of the emails um, that we've reviewed are about well we need to make sure that we are you know, paid appropriately for what we're doing here. And um, you know there's one particularly revealing. Um, uh, email in which one British intelligence official states that the the uh, the fees being charged by Prevail to um, train as partisan army seem very high for what they're actually offering. And uh, he oh yeah, it was like what was the price for yeah. the price per soldier was like a six hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the, yeah, and he says he this this official said I think that they've just picked the highest figure they can think of and doubled it because they're in a seller's market. And it's like yeah, yeah. so it's like <clears throat> that that surely extends to aid and charitable programs as well. I mean, 
you know, numerous reports of, of there are numerous reports of, of the weapons that are sold to Ukraine being sold on the black market, even being bought by Russians. Um, you know, there have been reports of, of these weapons reaching Syria and other countries. Um, I mean, I think that was one of my major concerns at the start of this was that, you know, I mean, again, where I am in the Balkans, that 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 were you know during the 90s during the, the breakup of yugoslavia washington in breach of un arms embargoes was courtesy of the cia sending vast armed shipments to croatia and bosnia to fight the so they the you know the nationalist uh, in, uh separatist elements that they were supporting could fight the uh, the, U, the yugoslav forces and serbs living within their borders and you know these the a lot of these weapons you know, started circulating on the black market. They were used in terrorist attacks and robberies throughout Europe. They were, um, you know, they, they made the Balkans a very dangerous place to be. Um, a friend of mine who's from Northern Albania remembers how in the late 90s, you could, on, on the high street in his city, openly buy an AK-47 for $20. Like it was just being sold. Like you know, in the manner of like bananas or cans of coke at a convenience store. Like and, and you know, that, the, 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 this will backfire on us. This will, and particularly I think that when you know the more the more uh, violent you know, neo-Nazi slash far-right elements of which there there are an enormous number um, in in Ukraine, not just Ukrainians but also from you know, all over the world, particularly the US. Um, you know, once these once the war starts running out of steam, slash Ukraine is on path to you know a absolutely colossal defeat, which seems to very be very much be the case. Um, you know, the Russia is shutting down, is creating effective ghost towns, which it will then you know breeze through. Uh, once the once the once the ground freezes, which should be very soon, it's already extremely snowy in much of Russia. Um, you know, sub-zero temperatures. I think that yes, that, that you know, these these violent actors will flee, and they'll be extremely bitter that they were betrayed, and they will you know they will turn on their former sponsors. I mean, this is what happened with Mujahideen. I mean, what was very interesting was in the, uh, the, the, the 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 actually you know what led to the jihad on America being declared by Bin Laden. Al in Al Qaeda in the 90s was that the the Bosnian Mujahideen were sold out because they were used by the CIA to yes to, to fight this brutal dirty war against the you know, Bosnian Serbs and Yugoslav forces, and then once that was complete, they then started uh, a kind of cleanup operation. They took out a lot of the leaders. Bosnia stopping a safe place for the Mujahideen to be, so they started fleeing. Some of them got tried to make it to uh, Kosovo. They were arrested in, in you know, by the CIA. Um, you know, trying to, or they were, you know, they were, there was a mass deportation of, of jihadist fighters from, from Albania to uh, Cairo in the late 90s. And this is what led bin Laden to, you know, announce his war on America and what, you know, one way or another um, led to 9-11. So, you know, I mean, that is a historical precedent to bear in mind. Um, you know, this, this you know, the region I'm in now remains utterly scarred by war. And you know there are you know, there are a great many cities and towns which are home to you know, burnt out buildings and you know, you know uh, uh, housing complexes riddled with bullet holes, and uh, you know the, uh, where the population has collapsed, and schools have closed, and businesses have closed, and it's like you know you still see that now just travelling around. And I suspect that the, you know, the same would be true not only of Ukraine but also surrounding countries within Europe. I think you know like Poland, for instance, has. Um, attracted because it's on the on the border with Western Ukraine, a vast amount of Ukrainian refugees. And I think that there is. I, I I hear reports from both Polish and Ukrainian friends in cities like Krakow that there is you know rising tension between them. So you know again that's something to look forward to and be extremely worried about. 
Right, and I mean the but the amount of money they've already put into Ukraine is exceeds the the entire Russian military budget. Uh, yes. it, it's it's it, and if they're not if the situation on the battlefield is grim with that kind of spending, it's just it seems like it's going to be catastrophic in terms of its consequences. Um, and pouring all this, you know, all the money in the world, which the U.S. can, you know, create and and disperse, isn't is not going to necessarily change facts on the ground. As far as this FTX business and the timing of this, um, the the way that this happened, um, you had Binance was another Bitcoin exchange, right? And they started dumping yes. the the token, and it was. And how did that tie? Do you know the timing of that related to the changing of the Ukrainian website and the uh, you know the announcement of like that investigators were that FTX was perhaps going to be investigated? I mean, what was the chronology there? Is there anything that, that yeah. might give a clue as to like what what led to what here? Well, it's like I mean, I think what's really what yeah the timing is extremely interesting. So like again, this could be pattern recognition, it could be coincidence, but it could not be. So in this is and so after you know three years of three and a half years of unrelenting positive media coverage of um, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and his um, you know and his, and his fundraising in mid October, it's announced that. Uh, the, the a, I think it's the Texas Security and Exchange Commission. I mean, it's, it's a financial regulator in Texas. Um, right. and, I mean, that's that's interesting in itself. That you know, that's that's a state level probe, not a federal one. Uh, you know, it, it seems that that Sam Bankman-Fried had one way or another successfully bought off. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 the you know U.S. lawmakers who are investigating the collapse of FTX. Uh, you can find pictures of them posing cheerily with, with Sam Bankman-Fried. It's crazy. So, yeah, the, 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 a probe is opened into, into the prospects of FTX potentially being involved in uh, the sale of illegal securities, um, you, know, so, you, know, well, you know, illegal assets, effectively. Um, and it is seven days later, just a week later. I mean, bearing in mind that that news passed without comment, really. It was, ba- it was barely reported on. And it was, to the extent that it was, it was framed as, well, this is just an, an example of uh, the, you know, of regulators taking a close look at crypto. It's happening across the entire industry. And it's not really anything, not really anything to write home about. It's not really anything newsworthy. And then um, a week later, Sam Bankman-Fried announces that his, yes, his aforementioned one billion pledge was quote unquote dumb and that he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be pledging that, not only that much money, but would never be, or at least for the foreseeable future, donating to political causes. Now, that's very odd. And it's, it, you know, I, it just seems very, very strange to have made such a vault fast from one from one to another. Again, this was largely unremarked upon. And then it's five days later that the, um, Aid for Ukraine website is migrated to a new um, en- uh, online entity. I mean, again, that might just be a coincidence, but it's it, you know, it, it, if we that the, even the slightest indication, if I mean, if we if we if we believe that FTX was yes, I mean, we we know it was criminal, and there's also I mean, every day we get more updates on. I mean, it, it turns out that they'd invested in this small bank that didn't have a website and didn't have and you know served you served primarily customers in a town of about you know 200 people, um, in and they invested. Uh, you know, several orders of magnitude more than the the bank's assets under management. I mean, historically, this bank had offered farm loans and other kind of very traditional, archaic forms of financing. I mean, that was their purpose. And suddenly, this you know, they become this uh, this go-to for a crypto firm. It doesn't doesn't add up at all. But yeah, the, effectively, 
if we, I mean, if we, if if we believe or assume that FTX was one way or another, you know, supporting state or deep state interests um, through its operations, and yes, the 134 shell companies would certainly, um, and it seems as well that it employed people who cannot be now be identified or found, raising the prospect that they didn't exist or they have, one way or another, been disappeared. Um, You know, I mean, that sounds very CIA to me. But like, yes, like the slightest indication that regulators anywhere were going to start taking a look into what FTX was doing would have set off alarm bells, um, you know, in both FTX HQ, but also, uh, you know, the the proverbial smoke filled rooms of the individuals and organizations that were, you know, benefiting slash secretly guiding this. So, I mean, that may have been, that may have, you know, caught, uh, driven home to Sam Bankman-Fried one way or another that yes, okay, right, well the walls are closing in and I'm in a lot of trouble here and so I better stop making so much noise and drawing so much attention to myself by pledging to give a billion dollars to a political party. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 it's all just very strange. I mean, earlier this year, I think it was after the war broke out between March and June, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried had numerous high-level meetings at the White House. Sometimes he was accompanied by, um, you know, members of FTX, including ex-Obama administration financial regulators. Um, just crazy levels of corruption. Um, and sometimes he was on his own. Now, what was being discussed? Who was he meeting with? That's not clear. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's an enormous is an enormous number of questions to answer here. Uh, we've not gotten satisfactory resolution on any aspect of this, really. And, you know, it does seem that the uh, the, the court-appointed bankruptcy CEO who oversaw Enron's bankruptcy, um, he seems committed to, to getting to the truth. Whether he'll be allowed to or not is a different matter. But, yeah, I mean, I strongly I strongly suspect that they're, they're, they're at the very least, because this is so public, because so many people have lost money, and because it seems to have caused a wide a, you know, a destructive ripple effect within the cryptocurrency industry. That um, yes, that there will there will need to be an investigation. I mean, that will get to some of the truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the meantime, like I, I would urge you know, listeners to just look for themselves into what I've reported on. You know, some of my Twitter threads on this, and yeah, like you know, draw your own conclusions, uh, follow your own paths. Uh, I've had a number of, of financial professionals reach out to me to say, um, oh, like you know, what you've identified is extremely dubious, and yes, like points to something darker. I mean, you know, I'm I, I have many many years ago as a financial journalist, but I, I have some background in the field, but not I'm not. No, by no means an expert. You know, people with other who are um, more au fait with that discipline might have their own input. They might, you know, have leads to follow, or they may even offer exculpatory answers. But yes, I mean, it, again, the, the proposition that this was the one thing that, that Sam Bankman-Fried was involved in that wasn't deeply corrupt and criminal just doesn't really seem believable to me. Right, and uh, I mean, th- is there any? Do you have any reason to suspect that it might have something to do with partisan politics in the United States? Because it's to me interesting that it's a very Republican state and he's this guy who has been giving huge amounts of money to Democrats um, and uh, also to Ukrainian causes, um, you know, to the, like shady Ukrainian war profiteering or funds going or or fundraising however you want to say it it's hard to say mm. what exactly that was all about and where all that money went but it, if you know perhaps with the republic are they were they was it 
they said maybe they cut their losses before the Republicans take control of Congress because that could potentially have been more embarrassing for for them or I mean it's just it, I agree that it has all the um it has all the hallmarks of these other CIA operations in the past only it's more sophisticated mm. and it's for the cyber age but I mean it reminds you of Nugent Hand Bank yes, where yes, the guy exactly. the guy capitalized it with a hundred I think it was a hundred thousand dollar check to himself that was the yeah. original capitalization and then all of a sudden they become the banker for the CIA and they're like re redirecting all of the heroin traffic from uh some southeast asia into australia for the first time ever they have a heroin problem there yeah, and yeah, uh crazy. Or castle castle bank in the bahamas that ripped off people like uh clearance credence clearwater revival put their money there and they <laughs> lost it all and or bcci i mean it just had it just seems to be serving in similar functions and and in a similar way and the, the explanation of like how they could get away with it for so long and then the obvious answer is like oh because they were they had the you know the 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 blessing of the almighty but then you wonder why would texas have not been you know told not to investigate this it's very uh it's very weird do you have any any idea of any hypothesis i know there's no you don't have to speculate or or we could say that it's like this is definitely speculation but do you have any yeah. idea of what the angle was here it's like why they went down if they were so doing all of these things with sanctions with some sort of sanction of the clandestine services uh, you wonder why they why why now why they went down and why now? Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's yeah the, the the timing around the the, the midterms is is really interesting. I, I do I do think there is a you know it kind of cuts back almost going you Carl Oglesby's uh, uh, thesis of the um, you know, Yankee Cowboy War. It's just like yeah, it's it's literally this the the the, the, the Republicans were quite clearly angry at all of the money that was being sent to. Um, uh, the Democrats and and I mean yeah like Frank and Fried's mother is involved in a um, a, a super PAC that uses data analytics and, and all sorts of other uh, you know kind of high tech tools to identify you know potential um, you know uh, potentially unacknowledged um, upset Democrat victories where money can be funneled there. And yeah, like, you know, this is harming Republican power. It's, there is an argument to be made for the fact that like, you know, similar tactics prevented a kind of, you know, what would they call it? The Red Sea. Um, you know, I mean, it was widely, widely predicted that this, the, the midterms were going, I mean, and I went along with this as well, because I just think that, you know, Biden's just been so pathetically useless, um, that like, that people were expecting a Democrat wipeout, that didn't really happen. Um, let's look at the reasons why. Um, and you know, it seems to be very targeted. There were some, there were some places where the Republicans did well, some places less well. But yeah, I mean, I do think that the, I mean, on, on the, on the Nugenhan bank front, I mean, yes, the site, that's exactly what sprang to mind when I was looking into this. It just seems so, so utterly strange. And I think that you know, this is speculation, but it's informed speculation. Okay. So, um, right. You know, it's just you wonder if he's going to end up like, uh, like Frank Nugent or, oh, yeah. uh, or Jeffrey I mean, Epstein, you know, like Sam, Sam Gincana or like just, you know, yeah. just body in an oil, body in an oil drum off the coast of the Bahamas. But yeah, that the, uh, I just think that the, um, effectively, we know that the CIA is very interested in crypto and crypto because it is inherently a scam i mean it's just it's one of those things where i i read i read a very interesting article the other day where they they made the point that you know that crypto was a a you know a, a vc wet dream because these cryptocurrency firms could um create a token 
and then have all this money flow into them. And it's like, that was just like selling magic beans. Like they didn't, you know, rather than engage in a pump and dump where they had to like create a kind of fairly dubious tech company into which money could be, you know, into which money could flow, which actually had to like do something or make something or have some kind of product. Like this had like no product. It had like you know, an imaginary, a completely imaginary, um, intangible asset, which was you know, suddenly became valuable, um, you know, at, at the press of a button. But anyway, that like the CIA has been, been yes, yeah, been interested in crypto, no doubt, because it is good for circumventing sanctions. It is you know very closed in terms, you know, it's it's unregulated, and it was reported a few years ago that the CIA had been investing in a number of crypto products and crypto um, uh, uh, enterprises. Now, one of the mysteries from my perspective about FTX is that it's generated an enormous amount of money from top tier venture capital firms. I've, I've seen some people suggest that this is because VC firms bought into you know the mythos and the cult of Sam Bankman-Fried. I think that's a load of horseshit because, again, based on my financial journalist background, I met with VC firms. These people, they're, they're not infallible. They do make bad investments, and they're also cynical capitalist shitbags of the highest order. One thing they're not, though, is stupid. And when they invest in a company, they do extensive due diligence and employ experts to go over, you know, all of a, all of a company's books, all of their financial records, ensure that it is vi viable in one way or another, could be profitable before they choose to invest money in it. And now, right. to, use an, to use an analogy, Theranos, which was a fake blood testing company, they never generated very much in the way of VC capital. And they and when VCs did invest, they were not, you know, kind of specialist medical med tech investors because Theranos refused to disclose how their technology worked because it didn't. But like, you know, they, they, and, and so that in itself was a, was a red flag to put off VC firms from going anywhere near them. Now, with FTX, it's clear and I'm going to I'm just going to draw up a quote here because it's um, it's uh, it, 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 it's really quite extraordinary. That the, the yes, the, the aforementioned um, uh, 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 what's his name? Sorry, the, the aforementioned court appointed bankruptcy uh, C, uh, banks of court appointed CEO of FTX. Um, in, in his first filing to bankruptcy court after assessing what he could of FTX's financial records. He and bear in mind that he oversaw Enron's bankruptcy. Uh, you know, um, so this this guy has seen fraud in this time on a massive scale. He assessed FTX as never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information. From compromised systems integrity, faulty regulatory oversight abroad, to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. Now, VC firms would have, or at least should have, been party to the same kind of records, or lack thereof, as this, as this, as this guy was, so what does that tell you? Under normal circumstances, these VC firms would have run a mile, that they would have run far, far away from FTX. They wouldn't have invested billions and valued the company at billions, not even if they thought they could make a quick buck out of it. It'd just be too dangerous, too damaging, okay? So why did they invest money? Well, 
we know that InQtel, which is the CIA's venture capital arm, is highly influential in the VC sphere. It is calculated that for every, they calculate that for every dollar they invest in a, in a company, $15 is invested by other VC firms. So we have to ask the very obvious question of whether InQtel's um, advocacy and you know, InQtel vouching for FTX was one of the reasons that these major VC firms, contrary to prior to kind of basic standards and prior behavior, invested a lot of money in an obviously fraudulent company. I'm not saying that that's absolutely the case, but it, you, you know, the, there is there has to be a reason why the, uh, the, the VC cash was given to FTX. That's one explanation. And you know, InQtel doesn't always advertise what it invests in. And I think that, yes, a company that is linked to so many shell, uh, shell firms that has you know, seemingly fake employees and was operating in a very, you know, on the basis of a very bizarre financial arrangement where it was selling products to U.S. investors despite not, be, not through its U.S. Registered, registered entity, but it maintained an above-board U.S. registered entity so it could claim that it was a U.S. company when it wasn't. That's all extremely shady, extremely circuitous, and it's exactly like that kind of shadow world, that kind of lack of definition and clarity that the CIA would be extremely attracted to. Because hey, you know they can use this to legitimize all manner of you know covert activity, you know, offer a legitimate cover to all manner of covert activities without anyone noticing and anyone asking any questions. And you know, it it, it it just seems to me that there must have been at some level someone or something behind Sam Bankman-Fried, yes, vouching for him, directing him, uh, protecting him, and maybe it just reached the point one way or another that this was no this was no longer viable, and so he's been thrown to the wolves. I mean, you know, it 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 it, 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 it quite why. You know, uh, criminal investigations have. I mean, there's another thing as well. It's very, is that there's another really curious aspect of the story. <clears throat> apparently, it's been reported uh, that apparently many months ago, federal prosecutors had opened criminal investigations of FTX, and this was a you know a, a court in New York uh, that that had experience with dealing with financial fraud. So you know, again, it, it, the, it, we were told you know, for three years, particularly um, over the course of this year, that Sam Bankman-Fried was a genius, um, you know, in, and that he was this unimpeachable, who was trying to, you know, invest for good, make money so he could give it away again. And there was this kind of saintly figure who's hobnobbing with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair and all these other public figures that's being endorsed by the financial media and, and, the, and the political media as well. There's a lot of nausea. Oh, yes, and it seems that he was basically bribing investors and journalists um, uh, collected uh, uh, outfits like the Intercept and ProPublica, alleged investing journalism outlets to um, uh, perpetuate conspiracy theories about um, COVID being a Chinese and definitely not a US um, lab leak. You know, it's very, very, very interesting. Yes, that, but like against, but yeah, behind this facade, actually, there are a lot, it seems there are a lot of people in you know regulatory oversight positions who didn't buy it and you know the, the signs were all there for other people to not buy it either but the fact that they didn't suggest that either they were yes very successfully conned or there was some kind of hand involved in this and yes i mean again whether that would come out in you know 
you know, directly or indirectly in an official investigation isn't clear. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, particularly the people who um, uh, lost a lot of money in this, but you know, just more generally, people who you know had, had to kind of had as a, as a kind of you know background soundtrack this constant chorus of how brilliant this corrupt thirty-year-old, like you know, just such a ridiculous proposition on paper. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 yeah, like we deserve answers, and yes, they are entirely unforthcoming. Right. Yeah, I think that it will be interesting to see what happens to this fellow. You you wonder if he's going to end up like that that Vatican banker or like Epstein <laughs> or uh, like Frank Nugan. It's just a very bizarre case. And um, it, it's uh, to me, the symmetry of like Biden and Burisma uh, and Ukraine. And you could think of Cheney and Halliburton and all of this. It, it's yeah. really gotten to the point of like, you know, sort of rival crime families in this yes. in our political system which just and it it just seems to be the end of an imperial cycle and so these things coming the the scandals uh are seem to be piling up faster and the victories are just for the empire the little the coups that they used to pull off are just don't seem to be uh coming the way that they did so this is this is all really a fascinating scenery uh that you that you're setting out here um, where where do you where can people find most of your work? You're at Gray Zone, but you write for some other outlets sometime as well. So, what other yeah, what other yeah. places so do you I'm, like to write for? I'm a, I mean I'm a, I'm a fairly regular contributor to Mint Press News, uh, which is a, a great great you know independent investigative uh, website. I also contribute to the Cradle. Again, I mean you know just really fantastic um, you know it, 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 insight and exposés uh, with a focus on uh, West Asia or you know the Middle East. Uh, but you know it has a, it has a kind of global reach. Um, and I've, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on on leaks. British Foreign Office uh, slash MI6 files related related to spying operations targeting you know, numerous countries um, in the, in that region. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I also uh, very occasionally um, uh, post in Substack if that's your thing. But then people can typically find me on you know, on Twitter where I am. You know, for, you know, much much to my chagrin, very very active. Well, I will provide links to your work and all the articles that we spoke about. And uh, I really thank you very much for joining me again. It was a great conversation. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, my, always my pleasure. Aaron. Take care of yourself, mate. Thanks to Dana Chavaria for engineering the audio, and as always, thanks to Mock Orange for the music. You might notice that we used a silly picture of SBF in the episode art. It is an allusion to Michael Hand, the upwardly mobile killer who went from being a Green Beret in Vietnam to the CIA's banker after he co-founded the Nugent Hand Bank in Australia. Like Castle Bank before it, and BCCI, and FTX after, Nugent Hand collapsed in spectacular and scandalous fashion. Frank Nugent was found dead in his car on a rural road from a gunshot wound. He had the business card of former CIA director William Colby in his pocket. Michael Hand hopped on a plane and escaped to Canada from Australia via Fiji, 
all with the help of a ridiculous disguise like the one in our episode art. He was rumored to have been assisting the Contras in the 1980s, but beyond that, his fate remained a mystery until 2015 when he was found alive and well in a small Idaho town under the name Michael Fuller. He had been earning a good living by selling tactical weapons to militaries around the world. If we had an actual free press and a functional justice system, this would have been a national scandal leading to legal proceedings and spectacular disclosures of state criminality. Instead, the U.S. reporting was low-key and never really followed up on. The justice system essentially ignored the case. Wrote Newsweek at the time that Hand was discovered in Idaho, the FBI could not be immediately reached to answer whether it intended to arrest Hand. It has declined to comment on Hand in the past. In 1982, the CIA, rattled by media reports tying it to his bank's uh, his bank personnel's alleged drug running and attempts to undermine Australian Prime Minister Go Whitlam, issued an unusual rebuttal. The CIA, a spokesman said, has not engaged in operations against the Australian government, has no ties with Nugent Hand, and does not involve itself in drug trafficking. Classic CIA Jedi mind trick there. I seem to recall hearing a report of the death of Michael Hand, a.k.a. Michael Fuller, uh, very recently, but I could not confirm that at the time of this recording. Either way, it's a wild story. We should keep it in mind as we watch this FTX fiasco unfold. As ever, friends, keep minding the darkness. <laughs> 